I was just listening to um, Alex Hermosi, if you guys know who that is, but he was talking a little bit about instead of niching down, narrowing your focus. In his eyes, it's narrowing down, and I've seen this in our business, is that, for example, if we're targeting home services, it's not any home services, and I think you have to keep that in mind. It's the highest end customer for you, right? So you can get more focused in any business on the exact customer you want to reach, but you also have to make sure if you are going to get more narrow in your focus that you're not also sacrificing revenue or you're not dropping your revenue by 50% overnight. So I think finding the quality, even if you are going to get more narrow in a sense and quality meaning, and this is what you know we really try to focus on is that we may engage a business owner that's getting five, 600 leads, for example, per month. And we say, hey, we're gonna get you 300, but they're gonna be 50% more likely to convert because they're much higher quality leads because we know what their values are, we know what their psychological drivers are, and we know they're gonna buy from you at the end of the day. And so less is more. What's going on, everybody? Today, we have a special treat for you. You are in for uh, an amazing episode with Mr. Brandon McKee. Uh, we got into all sorts of really cool stuff. He is the, the CEO of WinBig Media, and we talk about data-driven decisions. We talk about people. We talk about culture. We talk about operations. Just how do you actually create an alignment of strengths inside your business to be able to scale to the next level? We talk about some really cool marketing concepts. He's an amazing guy. Just He brings so much insight with all the data that he has at his fingertips to the conversation that I, I really enjoyed it. Mike, what stood out for you from this conversation? Well, I, I love the uh, story that he shared about the compensation, a very unique compensation model that I think we're going to try to employ in Better Than Rich. So uh, that was uh, probably midway through the episode, but definitely take keep your eyes peeled for that. Which I love our conversation about the gap and the gain as well, because it's a really popular book from Dan Sullivan. So really great content that Brandon brought. And if you haven't checked out Philip Stutz episode, you can check out Philip Stutz. They're in the same business industry with the undefeated marketing system. But I think you'll really enjoy this episode with Brandon has a very successful career inside Wimby Media, but also in fitness and sport and health. And as a leadership and strategic coach underneath Dan Sullivan's tutelage, he's highly respected in the industry. And he brings a lot of compassion and innovation and a really great awesome, unique approach to marketing. So get ready for another great episode of the Better Than Rich Show. Welcome to the Better Than Rich Show with your hosts, Andrew Biggs and Mike Abramowitz. The Better Than Rich Show helps ambitious leaders who are on a mission to leave the world better than they found it, change their perspective on what's important, increase their income and impact, and systemize their life and business. If you've ever struggled with finding your purpose, have felt disconnected or distracted, or found yourself going through the motions, this show will remind you that what you do matters and will re-inspire you to chase your highest dreams. It's time for you to become better than rich. So welcome back to the Better Than Rich show. Mike Abramowitz here with Andrew Biggs and Brandon McKee. Welcome to the show, Brandon. Thanks for having me, guys. Excited. Yeah, we're looking forward to digging in. And obviously, those that follow our show heard our conversation with Philip Stutz and were blown away with a lot of what he brought to the episode. So I'm sure many people are really looking forward to this conversation as well. So just to give a little bit of a backstory, can you fill us in? How did you get connected to Philip and get connected to WinBig Media and also the undefeated marketing system? Just so we have a little bit of context there. Yeah. So uh, Mike, I met Philip two and a half years ago now. He actually brought me to a Nats game when we first met. And little did he know, I didn't know anything about baseball. So I think I asked him how many periods were in the game if that helps you understand how little I know about baseball. But I was in the fitness industry, actually. I served a couple different leadership roles in the fitness space. 
went through the pandemic that crippled that business. And so rebuilt that from the ground up, really, because we went to zero revenue overnight with all the closures. Decided, you know, I wanted to look for something different. And, you know, what I had always struggled with in my role as kind of the business owner and the person sitting across from me now as the marketer is my stuff wasn't working. Like nothing, you know, I was spending all this money per month and not being able to figure out why people weren't coming into my health clubs. And so really what drove me to join Philip is not even you guys know Philip, his passion for really just the business owner and helping them understand and grow instead of kind of doing the same old thing that every other marketing agency does. So we met up, I started as the VP of operations, really helped him grow, win big and build the team. My background is in in people, culture, how to build teams and align people with the company's goals to make sure that everyone's happy at the end of the day. So we grew this thing. And then recently I took over as CEO and then Philip has elevated to the chairman as Philip does uh, onto the next big thing for him. So, but super excited to be here. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's awesome, man. And, and I love this classic story of, hey, I'm spending a bunch of money on marketing and it's just not working. But you guys bucked that trend. So tell us about like, obviously, maybe you can't reveal the entire secret sauce, but like, what's the secret sauce, man? Like, why do you guys get results? Because I mean, as somebody who's constantly evaluating options like this, I get promised the world and they want 50 grand, 100 grand, 250 grand or whatever. It's really tough to put all those eggs into that basket and to place my trust into somebody. But why should someone trust you? And what are some of the results that you see with your undefeated system and some of the different things that you guys have? Sure. Well, I mean, that's the thing is that the secret sauce is unfortunately being meticulous and following the data. And you guys know this from Philip, but we are a data-driven marketing agency through and through. To your point, we don't ask anyone for any money upfront for advertising until we've done a data research project with them and truly understand their customer. So I'm not talking about, you know, where they live, their demographics, what kind of car they drive even. We're getting granular into their psychological drivers. Do they go to church? Do they have a dog? What are the things that your customer is doing on a daily basis that's going to drive them to buy a product? And then we know exactly who your customer is. We build a strategy surrounding that data. And then that's when we start to do some testing. We really start to create branding and creative messaging that aligns with that data. And so we're really 60 days in before we're actually asking you for any advertising dollars. And that's unique in our space. We always try to compare and contrast a little bit to our marketing agencies that we know. And we've heard plenty of horror stories, trust me, from business owners that have gotten the, yeah, give me a hundred grand. We're going to go on Facebook. We're going to crush it for you. You're going to have so many leads. You're not going to know what to do with them. And then it's all on death years, right? No ROI on that. They're asking for a hundred thousand more dollars next month and you're left with nothing. We are big on the data. And I would say that's the secret sauce for sure. Well, where I get curious is there's so many different data points that we actually have an operator to owner program internally for Better Than Rich. And we were just talking about KPIs and analytics yesterday and metrics uh, on one of our lesson calls. And there's different ways to get data. There's manual data entry data, and then there's like API data. Then there's probably much more sophisticated ways that you collect data. I would love for you to hit on and just kind of riff on if I'm an entrepreneur listening to this at all different stages, I could be a startup, I could be a solopreneur, I could be running a small business with a team, I could be running a multi eight figure, nine figure company. So if you could hit on each of those types of individuals who might be listening and just talk about data collection or analytics or KPIs or reporting or whatever shows up for you in that vein, that could be a value for someone that's listening right now. 
Yeah, I mean, I always say this, the data is only as good as where you get it from. And so what we find a lot is that we'll engage with business owners and they'll say, well, I've got this data, you know, Facebook gave me all this data about my customer. And lo and behold, it said I should spend more money on Facebook. That's what we hear a lot. If someone has done a data research project, they're getting their data from Google or they're getting their data from Meta. And that's always going to go back to you spending more money on those platforms because that's how they're managed and that's how they're pushed. So for us, we really like to be what we call platform agnostic. What we're doing is we're collecting third-party data. We have a partnership with the largest data collections agency in the country, and we're tracking at any point in time 220 to 230 million American consumers. And so what that means is that this data is strictly from them. So it is tracking them. It's not just their uh, online presence and footprint, but it's actually their surveys and door knockers, and it's everything, right? So it's accumulating all this data and then what we're able to do is pull that and utilize that for, uh, you mentioned startups. So sometimes startups don't have any sort of client or data to start. So we can actually build out what we call modeled segments to help them reach their customer from day one. A lot of times startups will do the throw something against the wall and hope it sticks for months, sometimes even years, depending on who you're talking to. So that's how we use it in that kind of case. You mentioned more sophisticated businesses, much larger, probably have a lot of what we call first party data. And what we do there is we're able to take that data and then aggregate that into our system. The process takes just a tad bit longer, just depending on how much data we're talking. But we can actually look at someone's existing customer. I'll give you an example. We'll put a pixel on someone's website and we'll actually track who's visiting the website and then who's actually bought from them. And we can tell the difference. So then we can say the reason people on the website aren't buying is because they're not seeing X, Y, Z, and we can retarget them. So that's typically how it works. First-party data is always great. We don't need it, but it's great to understand who your existing customer is and then take it to the next level. A great example is financial services. We work with a lot of companies that they have a customer, right? Maybe it's the one to $2 million client that they like working with. It pays the bills, but it's not their target client long-term. They want 10, 15, 20, $30 million clients. So we can actually go in and start marketing to that client based on our third-party data, even though they're rich in data on their first party. Does that make sense? Yeah, this is super, super stimulating for me right now. I'm also listening to Scaling Up by uh, Vern Harnish, I think is how you say his last name. And one of the things that I just was listening to, what he talked about Netflix, and he talked about how Netflix aggregates their data on when people skip or when they pause it, but then come back to that episode, or if they stop it and then completely go stop watching the episode, what day of the week they're watching sitcoms versus what day of the week they're watching movies. And it's like just all this collection of data that has helped them create a better user experience for every single client of Netflix. So it's all under this umbrella of let me aggregate as much data as possible, learn my avatar in and out as much as possible so I can over deliver and serve that client at the highest level. We talk about business owners, we talk to clients and entrepreneurs, they are so caught up as a cog in their machine working inside the business that for them to take a step back and look at any type of data to make any of these data-driven decisions, that makes it really challenging for them to make any different types of changes to their business or their business model because they're so focused on doing the thing versus making the thing better. So I'm curious on like, what would you say to that individual that I might've just described to you? Yeah, I think initially, and I say this almost every week, probably with new clients, existing clients, even because it's a hard mold to break. I've said it to Philip, Philip said it to me. It's not about you. 
And that's the exact phrase I use. I mean, I also have another phrase. I call it founder syndrome sometimes when we're talking to folks that are really still involved in their business intimately. It's all theirs. They started it from the ground up. And I get it. I've been there. Philip's been there. We've all been there. And you're attached to your business. Obviously, you're the most passionate person typically in the room about what you do. But you can't project those feelings, especially in advertising, onto your target customer. They may not care how you started, your family owned, what you do on the weekends. Sometimes that works. And a lot of times you do anything in marketing, it'll work to an extent, but then when it stops working, it's a real problem. So really my message to them is look at the data. We know what we're talking about. We've done it hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times and remove yourself from the equation and start listening to your customers. I mean, a great example is we were working with a founder in the pest control space. He was not particularly a very religious guy. And we found out that his customer segment highly indexed, I think it was over 87% of his customer base was going to church religiously no pun intended, every single weekend. And so we actually created some ads based around that, some puns and plays on mosquitoes and all sorts of fun things. And two, three X the ROI on their traditional ads. It wasn't something he loved. I remember having that conversation with him because that wasn't part of his values, but it was the values of his customer. I always say, look at the data. It's not about you. Yeah. Don't let mosquitoes bite you in the back like Judas did to Jesus. I can see it now, Brandon. That's great. I think it was mosquito Jesus. It was super fun. I mean, it was awesome. (laughs) That's beautiful. I love that. Talk to me about niching. It's a big idea that people talk about in marketing space. What's your philosophy on niching down? How niche do you need to be? For us, for instance, we are very much in that scaling up period. That's why we're reading it as a leadership team, that book. And we're still trying to figure out precisely who our core demographic is. We have some sense, right? We know they're an overwhelmed entrepreneur. We know they're probably doing pretty well, but not quite where they want to be. They want to scale. They're in that sort of six, seven figure. They want to get to eight, nine figure sort of business. We know some of the demographics. They probably have kids. They probably are looking to buy back some of their time and actually enjoy the fruits of their labor. All these different things. They're probably impact driven if they listen to the show, right? So, okay, we give a general sense, but is that niched enough? I'm always asking these questions, Brandon. So talk to me about niching and and your philosophy there. It's a super interesting question. And it is definitely prevalent in the agency space for sure. And we went through it, but a lot of agencies try to be everything to everyone and end up doing everything at about 60 to 70%. My philosophy on niching down, and I was just listening to um, Alex Hermosi, if you guys know who that is, but he was talking a little bit about instead of niching down, narrowing your focus. In his eyes, it's narrowing down. And I've seen this in our business is that, for example, if we're targeting home services, it's not any home services. And I think you have to keep that in mind. It's the highest end customer for you, right? So you can get more focused in any business on the exact customer you want to reach, but you also have to make sure if you are going to get more narrow in your focus that you're not also sacrificing revenue or you're not dropping your revenue by 50% overnight. So I think finding the quality, even if you are going to get more narrow in a sense and quality meaning, and this is what you know we really try to focus on is that we may engage a business owner that's getting five, 600 leads, for example, per month. And we say, hey, we're going to get you 300, but they're going to be 50% more likely to convert because they're much higher quality leads because we know what their values are. We know what their psychological drivers are and we know they're going to buy from you. 
at the end of the day. And so less is more. And I think that's usually my advice to any business owner, whether it's their business, we've taken it ourselves. We try to find a more ideal client so we can have one client that is serviced versus having five that we're servicing. So hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, it does. I'm curious, like how many data points do you feel like you need to make that decision? So if we come to you, we say we have 200 clients, is that enough? Or do you need 2,000 or 20,000? For instance, it's a high price point or a higher price point type of sale. So we have limited clients, we have limited data sizes. I guess that's where the third party comes into play, I suppose. But yeah, yeah what do you the think? third party definitely helps there. I mean, I, I can tell you straight up, 200 is not enough to really have a substantial amount, at least what we would call a realistic expectation in terms of what the data is going to show you. And so we're usually looking between 7,500 and 10,000 unique IDs. That doesn't necessarily mean people, but that's at least unique identifiers. So someone going somewhere in a laptop versus their cell phone, or maybe filling out a survey in person, whatever it is, 7,500 to 10,000. And again, that doesn't always work for everybody. And that's where we can kind of aggregate the third party data into that and create those modeled segments. Because a lot of folks know somewhat who their customer is, and then we can help kind of build out that modeled segment. And, And by the way, we can do multiple within one report. So we can say, we're trying to reach this customer, this customer, and this customer in three different variations. Because that's the other thing we see is that marketing is not one size fits all. And you'd be so shocked and big companies, by the way, large scale companies that are in 22, 25, 30 states. And they're doing the same thing in Texas that they're doing in New York for their marketing. And it's crazy. That's where we come in and say, hey, look, all these folks are different. You have to market to them differently. We just engaged with another company. They're, they're coming into the US market from Canada. And they're trying to do the same thing they're doing in Canada. And that's just not going to work. You have to get very specific even within these reports. So there could be multiple segments. That's awesome. Thank you. That's super helpful. I mean, 7,500 to 10,000, that's a really good little note for everyone listening. And then even just, hey, we got to market to people in Texas, different than New York, different Canada to the US. It seems obvious. It seems sometimes I think people go, well, it seems like a lot of work too, Brandon, (laughs) right? So it's like, okay, I got to actually think about, okay, what does this person in Texas want versus this person? I'm busy. I'm overwhelmed. I just want to put out one ad and hopefully it works. But that's where it's like, well, you're going to kind of get run over by these people who are using more sophisticated systems like this. So Mike, what's coming up for you? Well, my curiosity is centered around your internal staff that's rallied around this avatar. Andrew talked about the niche and it's like, we know our niche, but then we have our entire team of, let's say 30, 40, 50 people that also are like, we're all rallied around this busy, overwhelmed, time stretch entrepreneur and serving that person. Just like you and your company, I'm sure you know exactly who your avatar is. This is who we're marketing to. How have you created a culture within your company rallying around this avatar or this niche market that you are serving? And like, how does your team get ownership and autonomy and like excitement to serve this audience? What do you do or Philip does or anyone in the organization to like rally them up to be like, all right, we're really going to help these people. This is why we're going to help those people. Maybe there's some strategy there like vision and mission and purpose and values and stuff, or maybe there's other things. So riff on that, what we can see where the conversation goes there. Of course. Yeah. I mean, it's all about, I think, how you firm things up. There's this big, and I've seen it when I first came into the marketing world, and I still see it when I talk to other agency owners that it's like the agency versus the client. And the way we really try to attack that, because look, there is some times where the client is just flat out wrong. They're upset. They're flat out wrong about something. They think something should be going a different way. We said, hey, this is going to take 90 days. They're 15 days in and want to pull the plug on something. 
And I think if you train your team around the sense of one, putting yourself in the owner's shoes, pretending, and, and it's our phrase at WinBig, but pretending that every dollar is your own dollar. And that's very hard for staff that's never actually invested into a business before. And so it's something we talk about day in and day out. It's something that I talked about since I got here. Of course, Philip's been an entrepreneur forever. So it's really about putting ourselves in our customer's shoes. And if we're going to ask for even a couple hundred bucks, we better be able to explain and reverse engineer where that's going, why it's going there, what the outcomes are. I was super frustrated, by the way, my first couple of weeks, just because there's so many acronyms in marketing. There's so many different cost per click, cost per acquisition, you know, uh, I call them vanity metrics that really like at the end of the day, nobody cares about. They care about how many sales and conversions they're getting. We also flesh a lot of that out at WinBig. We try to talk to owners on their level. And that's not to be rude. It's how I would want to be talked to. When someone's talking to me about the financial services business, I would hope they're talking to me in a way that I can understand what they're saying to me. I have a financial advisor. They don't use big words with me. They just say, hey, this is what's happening. This is the ROI on there. I think to answer your question, Mike, how we do things, we try to simplify things to the point where it's easy to understand. And we have a tremendous amount of empathy. And frankly, when something's not going well, we're right on top of it, right? I mean, I've talked to some business owners that they used to talk to their agencies before us once a month, maybe once every other month, because that was part of their contract. We're talking to our customers every other day, if not every day. How many people are on your team at WinBig Media? Total team members, we're definitely 20 plus now. And we built that out just to really try to service in different departments and bring them all in-house. So 20 persons in your past, whether it be in the fitness industry that you were in, what's the largest amount of people that you had on your team at one point? Would it be the 20 that you have right now? No, I mean, I was at any point in time, depending on the facility in the region, 500 to 1,000 employees, just depending on the different departments. Yeah, I had a sense of that. So we're going from a team of either 20 or to up to 1,000. And we have this internal team that is backing us up to serve this one avatar. So just like want to double click on the question of how do you or how have you in the past or currently rallied up those 20 to 1000 people to like truly align with the mission to serve that avatar? Are there best practices that you've developed with internal meeting structure or anything around culture specifically, helping these individuals to take ownership and autonomy over their department and over delivering for this avatar? Yeah, I don't think it's surprising. I personally think it's a lot easier with my 20 employees now than when I had a thousand for sure, because you just really can't call every employee when you have a thousand employees and thank them for what they do and loop them into what's going on and the wins that we're having because of the work they're doing. That's something I try to do on a weekly basis. I'll be driving home from a meeting or from the office and I just call someone randomly and just tell them, one, we appreciate you, whether it's been a tough week or it's been a great week. And two, I try to share the wins. I think that's the thing that most people miss the most is that we could be crushing it. Sometimes it's the transparency thing, right? Some people don't want their employees to know how much money they're making or how well the company's doing because they're afraid they're going to leave. I think that's very short-sighted. If you're taking care of your people and you're doing the right things, they're going to be excited that you're winning and that we're growing. And so I think transparency would be the first word that comes to mind is whether you're a junior associate with us or you're my senior vice president of client accounts, that person knows exactly where WinBig is on a weekly basis. They know how things are going. 
how our clients are feeling, some of the biggest wins we've had. That's actually the best practice we've brought into play from previous weeks. On Monday, we have an all-hands meeting every single Monday, like a lot of companies. But the first way we start it, it's not about how much we have to do this week, what's going on. It's what was a win from last week that you can share with the team? And I think that goes a long way from a culture perspective and just bringing people and being positive. Dan Sullivan, strategic coach. I don't know if you guys have heard of that program. I love it. I've been a part of it for a while now. And they talk about the gap in the game. And so often I think our employees, maybe more than us, but sometimes maybe us included, are just stuck in like what's going wrong, what could be better. And they're just beating themselves up all week long. And you got to pull them out of that. You got to talk to them about what's going great. I mean, we got to focus on the good and the bad, but I think people miss the good so much. So it's honestly positivity and transparency for me. And I love that you just referenced. uh, I'm listening to his newest book, 10X is better than 2X. And I love the gap in the game. I think that's such a simple concept. And it's helped me this year more that like it's come at the time of life where I needed it the most. So listener, I highly recommend the gap in the game, Dan Sullivan. It's a very, very simple read. And the concept is so easy. But just the simple journal activity of what is my focus for tomorrow? All right, this is my focus for today. And then at the end of the day, these were my wins for today. And then what is my focus for tomorrow? And he has a couple really simple questions, but just all in the retrospect of I'm better today than I was yesterday. And it keeps that momentum going versus, gosh, I'm so far away from where I think I ought to be in the future. So, but also leveraging the gain in a way to inspire the desire to continue to press forward. So I'm really glad that you mentioned that, Brandon. Yeah. I mean, we do something on a quarterly basis too. And it's so cool to look at We have the employees write down, hey, these are your critical drivers for this quarter. And we always revisit those after the three months into the next quarter. We're reviewing what we previously did. And that really helps employees understand, okay, well, I took on X, Y, and Z, and I accomplished two of those things. Or in a perfect world, I accomplished all of those things. So even though there were some challenges, because we all know there's challenges every week in business. It's a chess match, right? And so even though there's always going to be challenges, bringing your employees back to these are all the things we've accomplished together just really helps lift up the organization in so many different ways. Yeah, I always thought I was going to kick you bigs. But to that point, right now, we're recording this in July. So this is technically Q3. If you're listening to this, whenever this gets released and whatever quarter you're in, do you know by the end of September, or by the end of Q3, what those initiatives are, or by the end of December, what those initiatives are? Something that I just went through as I was reflecting on this quarter, it's like, how do I quantify I really got to come up with the numbers, the outcomes. I checked the box, yes, like this was achieved or I didn't achieve it. How do I quantify certain of these things with marketing or sales? Sales is easy. It's like, we want this many clients. We want to make this much money. But some of them, I was really racking my mind of like, how can I measure lead gen? How many leads do we want? Like if I want one metrics, there's probably a dozen and a half that I could pick. But if I just wanted one thing, the one thing, what is the small hinge that swings the big door? What is that number for each of the different departments? So that way they're not distracted that all the other numbers are supporting this big KPI that it's like, this is the only one we're focused on for the quarter and everything else supports this main one. And that took a little bit of thought. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you did it on purpose, Mike, but there's a book called The One Thing and we read it. We had our whole team read it. We incorporate it in a way. I do think personally that in a week, there's probably more than one thing that sometimes you got to be focused on. But I love the concept of one main outcome. Maybe it's your revenue or maybe it's gross profit, whatever you want. And then you work your way down your organization. You say, 
What's the one thing that I can do this week, this month, this quarter to reach that big goal that you were talking about? And then you go through your departments. So my SVP of client accounts, he's got five, six direct reports, and then he's doing that exercise with all of them. So sooner or later, it's this trickle effect where we've got everyone picking out what's the one thing I got to do this week to accomplish X? What's the one thing I got to do this week to accomplish Y? I just love that concept. And I think it's really, really cool. So I'm glad you brought it up. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a big discussion we're having internally as we begin to scale. If you're not doing these things, you're going to continue to grind your gears and you're going to get burned out right? as an entrepreneur. So I love the lens that you bring, Brandon. I'm curious about technology. It's one of the things that we spoke at length about uh, with Phil, which is just like this idea of AI uh, using tech in your marketing, these sorts of things. Can you talk about that a little bit? Like, how do you use tech in your role and inside your organization to serve your clients? I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on this emerging landscape of AI and technology. Yeah, it's funny because I was just having a meeting with my senior team yesterday about technology. And we do something in our five-step process, testing. And testing means a lot to a lot of people. I'm not talking about one creative versus the other A-B testing, see how they do. And we're talking about dozens of different variations of ads. So that takes technology, unless you want to look someone in the eye and say, you got to test 50 different creatives today. And good luck. That's going to take a week. <laughs> so we utilize technology and aggregate. You know, We use AI all the time to help us understand what's the scoring. So once we have a creative concept, we're putting it through this AI algorithm. It's spitting out 60 different versions. We're testing those 60 versions, going to see what has the best click-through rate, what has the best cost per acquisition. And then we go to our client and say, okay, we're ready. So we do use it. It's always evolving. I mean, I love the new AI buzzwords. Me and Philip laugh about it all the time because we've been using AI for three and a half years now. And it seems like in the last six months, all our clients are asking us about it <laughs> out of the blue. They're like, are we using AI? And I'm like, guys, we've been using it for a long time. Don't worry. And I think it's natural. I know there's a lot of folks out there that are like, it's going to replace my people. I'm running my agency with just me now. AI is everything. I think we've seen that in the legal field, that that's probably not a great idea. You might get sued down the road. So I think you have to use it, but there's got to be a human touch to it. I've looked at probably just in the last year, 15, 20 different new platforms that have come out and all of them have their pitfalls. It's about how you use it and the prompts that you give it. In my experience, everything's changing week in and week out. I mean, it seems like every week I'm getting a different email from someone talking to me about the newest thing. So there's a lot of great stuff out there. I also think there's a lot of bad actors. So do your research and really make sure that you've got someone assigned to that though. And don't jump all in is my opinion on it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's great. And what platforms do you use? Or at least you're evaluating or you're curious about, are you using these large language models like the mainstream ones like ChatGPT or other things like that? Do you use it for creative? Does it work from an image generation perspective? Or is that not quite up to the standards for advertising and your level? Or what would you say? Yeah, you know, we do a lot of very thoughtful, I call it comparative advertising. So drawing the distinction between my competition and me, it's very successful, especially on the enterprise level. We just did a really cool ad for one of our furniture companies the other day against Wayfair. And it's not, don't think like political ad, it's not like mean or mean spirited or anything like that. But just drawing a distinction between our competitors and what they can and cannot do versus what we can do because we're local we're family owned, we can get it to you tomorrow. You're not gonna wait three months. To do those types of creatives, it's harder to generate that through those AI platforms. To answer your question though, we do a little bit of everything. We've got some of the mainstream stuff, 
And then we've actually invested in a couple different platforms. I can use one of them. MyPipe is one of them, which I think is really cool. You guys should check it out if you haven't. I mean, it's a really cool platform that that's how we're able to do so many different variant testings. We used to do this manually and it just took a lot of time. You can actually create something. You still need your team to create it. You put in those different assets into MarPipe and then it'll spit out 60 to 150 different versions. And then you can actually do the testing through that platform because they have API integrations. I think that one's really cool. There's a couple of other versions out there. We're still doing some testing to really see what's going to work best for us. But just to swing back to your other question as well, I don't think it replaces the need for your team to actually generate those. I mean, Google does it already. I don't know if you guys are familiar with Performance Max, but Performance Max campaigns have been really coming out strong and they're very successful for a lot of businesses, just depending on the industry and the vertical. It's actually all AI generated too. So you can't actually choose what web page you send people to, what they see, what the creative is. You're literally just putting in information to Google's system and it picks all that for you. So it's kind of creepy. Yeah. And that's one of the things whenever we get into this third party data and all these sorts of things and AI, things get creepy real fast. But at the same time, I mean, from a business owner perspective, having data at your fingertips and being able to make data driven decisions is a must. If you can't beat them, join them. It's kind of my philosophy. We got to make sure we're using all this information at our fingertips. We may not have as much information as Google has, but an organization like yours has so much to offer entrepreneurs. So it's just really cool what you're up to. And I think that's great. I know, Mike, you had a really cool question about internal management and something about an employee and offering ownership. What was that question that you wanted to bring up? I'm curious, you know, as far as like different compensation, I know, Brandon, you have a cool story around this offering employees ownership and sharing the profit of the agency. And I'd love to hear that story. And the reason why I want to hear that story and I want our audience to hear it is because Whenever we're bringing on new staff, sometimes we need to get creative with our compensation model sometimes, especially in the marketplace right now, where if you really survey a lot of people, money is sometimes like maybe three on the list, sometimes maybe even four. It's like sometimes it's experience, sometimes it's flexibility, sometimes it's work culture you know, or positive work environment. So sometimes advancement opportunity or leadership opportunity. Compensation has all of those, but like A is just one form of all of the different perks or compensation. So I'd love to have you share your story about this employee ownership, profiting in the agency. If you could share that with us, that'd be great. Of course. Yeah. It was about a year and a half ago, really. So shortly after I started, but we were hiring, we were growing and we were finding the market was really competitive and really tough as everyone was going through that. It was really hard to find people. Once you did find someone three months later, they were out the door, it seemed like. So we were just brainstorming at how to tackle that. The way I looked at it, and by the way, Mike, when we're tracking all of our data, we're actually tracking some of that stuff too. So I just like to know about the labor market on any given month so we can actually tap into our database and understand that. So it was number two, by the way. So number one was work remote, which was really important to people. And number two in our database, we made the uh, decision to go work remote. So we were checking that box. But, you know, on compensation, I mean, there are big enterprise level companies out there that are paying 20, 30, 40 percent more than what these smaller businesses can do. And so we decided we call them performance units. And basically, at the end of the year, what that means is it's based on our profit. So for business owners listening, don't worry. It's not like you're giving money away when your business is losing money. It aligns the team that you have with you profiting and your business making money. So again, not total revenue. We're talking about your profit, like your net profit at the end of the year. And what we do is we put a certain percentage of that profit into a different bucket 
and we give that back to the employees at the end of the year. For us, it just really depends on the year and the percentage. I mean, we can always ramp that up or down. I've seen 20%, I've seen 10%, I've seen 5%. Depending on your company, 5% could still be life-changing for some of those employees. That's really um, how we modeled it. And what we did is we based it off of tenure. So we also are incentivizing people to stay longer. So you get a certain amount of performance units immediately. Then you get more as you continue to stay with us. So you're really just getting more and more potential to earn more based on your goals and alignment with the company. Me and Philip talked about it at length, and I just said it's going to align the team members with our goals. And that's really what you want at the end of the day. And if you're a great manager, you kind of do that without that incentive for sure. But it certainly helps. As I was saying, number two on their list was pay. And people were really looking for that. And so it helps drive activities that are going to be profitable for your organization. Because we all know that sometimes people focus on things that there could be 10 things on a list. And the one that we're all focused on is the one that's really not going to move the dial at all for the bottom line. It also helps people focus on, okay, I need to upsell my clients. I need to ask for more. We're getting great results. I should ask for more when maybe that wouldn't have been on their list before. So that's what we did. And it's been very, very successful. Yeah, that's so good because you're hitting on the retention. Okay, if the initiative is I want to retain my staff, let me check that box. If I also want to make sure they're focusing on the right things, let me check that box. And then I also want to only make sure they're getting compensated off of the profits off of the company. So how can I be creative with generating more profits while retaining my staff and also incentivizing them to have their hand in the profit cookie jar? I really like that a lot. So thanks so much for sharing, Brandon. Before I give Andrew an opportunity, I was going to go in a completely different direction. I wanted to talk a little bit more about you as a person, you know, you and Paul and Bruno and life in DC area and stuff. So just get into a little bit of that. But Andrew, anything else that's coming up for you? No, I was on the same page there because I'm definitely curious to hear more about yeah, you on the personal side. So I'd love that. Yeah, tell us. I mean, University of Life, you grew up in DC and you're in Virginia right now. Tell us about Paul. Tell us about Bruno. Tell us about life outside of business. Yeah, well, so we do live in the swamp, as we call it. And we have for a while. That's DC for everyone listening. But no, it, it's great. We're in a little area called Alexandria, Virginia. So we're right outside of DC. So we get around some of that traffic. We spend a lot of time outdoors with our dog, Bruno, as you mentioned. We'd love to just go up to Shenandoah Mountains for the weekend and just hike all the trails there. And Bruno loves it too. And really on the outside, we're foodies at heart. So where we spend a lot of our money is food. We'll drive out like an hour and a half just to try the next coolest place that we heard about. Even this past 4th of July, hopefully nobody uh, hates on me or throws anything at me, but we really didn't see the fireworks because the 4th of July is actually the best time to go to an awesome restaurant because everybody's in D.C. And so there's this restaurant. We It's a Lebanese place we wanted to get into. And I knew we'd be able to get into it on the 4th. So we went there and just had a great afternoon. That's amazing. What would you say is the best dining experience that you've ever had? What's like hands down number one? Oh, man. That is a really tough question and a good one. You know, I have to say it's probably not in the States, honestly, Andrew. It's probably in Greece. We went to Greece last year and we decided as part of our trip, and this is not for everyone listening, something I would normally do. I like to cook my own food, but we decided while we were there to invest in a chef that would help us just with like our daily meals and not a five-star Michelin star chef. I mean, it was the best food I've ever had. The best 
like just quality. You felt great after you ate a lot, which I feel like in the U.S. I'm a little bloated. So I don't know, maybe something in the food. But that was probably the best experience. Up on the list, if anyone's in D.C., Del Mar is a wonderful Spanish tapas restaurant. Paul's family is actually from Cuba originally, and they relocated to Spain during the whole communism thing. Spanish food is close to our heart. And so we love Spanish tapas bars and Del Mar is a good one. Love it. We had a private chef at one of our events that we put on in Mexico. It was amazing. Every single meal is just so good. To your point, I felt like I ate a lot, but it felt healthier. It's the massive portions that you get at a chain restaurant in the US just felt way better afterwards. So the best part is no prep, no cleanup. That's awesome. And about a year into me and Paul's relationship, he looked at me and said, I think I'm going to do all the cooking. So that was a key to me that maybe I wasn't the best cook. And so normally I'm the cleanup guy and I really don't (laughs) like to clean dishes. So that was awesome too. That's great. Well, Brandon, we always like to ask every guest three questions towards the end of each episode. So the first question that we like to ask every guest is what do you think the world needs most today? Hmm, Great question. Uh, Empathy is where I would go. And the reason why is because I think it drives everything in business. Nowadays, especially, we've got uh, four or five, maybe it's five now, generations working in the workforce. And all of them have different motivators and have had different life experiences. And and me and Philip talk about this a lot because we have millennials, we have Gen X now, we have all sorts of different generations. And they're all driven by something different and they've had different life experiences. Like COVID is a big thing that's going to affect this generation for a long time moving forward. The way I look at empathy is putting yourselves in someone else's shoes and kind of looking through their lens. And I think if we had more of that throughout the entire country and world, I mean, we'd be a lot better in shape. Love it. What one to three books, I know you've mentioned a couple already, but what one to three books do you recommend everyone check out? Yeah, actually, it's interesting. It's not like your average business book, but I just read a really great book called Into the Raging Sea. And it's about a cargo ship that goes down in 2015. It's a true story. You know, you can look it up on Google for the quick version, but the book is excellent. And it actually has some very interesting business lessons that I took from it about how things can break down when you don't have a good culture and you don't provide people autonomy and trust. It really led to the sinking of the ship. When you guys look into the book, I'm not going to give away all the details, but awesome book, Into the Raging Sea. Reminds me of the submarine news that we've had recently, I guess. Yeah, similar, similar. (laughs) A little bit. That's a new book that we haven't had shared. So thank you for that, Brandon. We always love new ones. So third question is, what does it mean to you to be better than rich? Better than rich, I, I would say for me, it's what impression, some people would call it legacy, but like, what can I leave to the next generation or my team members? I say this all the time, whether you work for me and leave, I've had the unfortunate pleasure of terminating people before, but I always want someone to look back and go, he helped me. Whether they knew it at that moment or not, I would always like to be able to call someone or have a beer with them and really just impact someone's life in some way, shape or form. And I think that's more than money to me, for sure. Mm, Great answer. Thank you so much, Brandon. This has been awesome. Tell us, how can people stay in touch if they want to learn more about you or what you're up to in business? How can they schedule a call with you guys or if they want to learn more about WinBig? Of course. Yeah. The easiest way would be just go to winbigmedia.com forward slash C-I-R. And then there's going to be a form. Fill that form out. Let us know how you heard about us, obviously, on this podcast. And I will personally hold a call with them and go through how our data can impact them. It's completely complimentary for your charge. Beautiful. Yeah, that's a great gift. So listener, you better go over to uh, winbigmedia.com slash CIR. What does CIR stand for? Sure, for Customer Insights Report. If that helps people remember. Yes, for instance. So CIR. 
All right, winbigmedia.com slash CIR. Well, Brandon, thank you so much for your insights today. This was super helpful for listeners and also for us, you know, getting a couple of new technologies to explore and dial up some of our systems. So thank you. And Andrew's always thanks for your questions and intuition that you bring to each one of these conversations. And listener, as always, we truly appreciate you taking your time out of your day to support the Better Than Rich podcast. So if this episode helped you, as always, it's your turn, help others, leave a reading, review, share it. Check us out on YouTube if you're listening to this. We have extra bonus content that we're sharing on YouTube in the upcoming episodes. So check us out there. And as always, remember, leave today better than you found it. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the show, please share it with others. Post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram at better than underscore rich and join our Facebook group at The Better Than Rich Show. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to seeing you next time. And remember, leave today better than you found it. If you found value in this podcast episode and want to go a little bit deeper with myself and Andrew Biggs and our community, I recommend checking out one of these three resources. Number one is join our community. We have the Automate, Delegate, Systemize Facebook group with over a thousand entrepreneurs and self-employed individuals who just want to win back their time, who want to increase their profits, want to expand their businesses and really spend their time on what matters most to them. So join that group. It's on Facebook. It's called Automate, Delegate, Systemize. It is a private group, but we would love to have you join. Number two is we have a free one-hour masterclass. And this free one-hour masterclass that is titled Win Back 13 to 37 Hours of Your Week Every Single Week. By you taking an hour of your time and listening and watching and workshopping with this masterclass, you will learn our three epiphanies to help you understand how to work on the business, not in the business, know that you can delegate and automate almost anything in your business, and you could also build a system in your business, even if you're not tech savvy at all. So I highly recommend you to go to automatedelegatesystemize.com and enjoy that free one hour masterclass. If you really want to go deep with Andrew, myself, and other business owners, we have a program called Operator to Owner. And Operator to Owner is our premier program that's 12 weeks long that will show you exactly how to use what we call the ADS framework, going through the prospect journey, the client journey, how to onboard properly, build your staff, build the pillars of your organization, audit your time with a dollar per hour exercise, offload and delegate your under dollar per hour wage that you want to pay yourself, how to offload those tasks and really how to buy back your time. Our promise is that by the end, you will learn how to leverage a virtual assisted team, whether you want to use our better than rich virtual assistants. We have those services. You could go to va.betterthanrich.com or you can learn how to use your own virtual assistant team and hire offshore workers. But we are here to help you win back time gain your freedom and try to stay true to what it means to be an entrepreneur and why you became an entrepreneur in the first place. So take advantage of those three resources. We have the Facebook group that's free. We have the masterclass that's free. And then of course, we have operator to owner and our virtual assistant services that are behind the paywall and be on the lookout for our next mini course, 
win back your freedom and increase your profits, which we've done a couple of times already, and maybe there's one coming up in the near future. Thank you.